So you always want to be prepared to... To set goals. To be really disruptive. Diversity is fundamental. It is just trusting those super strengths. To recover from those failures and, and learn from them. Humility looks like the softest word, but it's kind of the hardest. We ourselves are in beta mode. Life goes on. Sporting Edge, inside the mind of champions. Welcome to the Inside the Mind of Champions podcast. My name is Jeremy Snape. I'm a former England cricketer with a master's degree in sports psychology. Since retiring, I've been fortunate to work with and interview some of the world's most successful thinkers and performers. And I'm passionate about translating their habits and routines into practical strategies to help you become more successful. In each episode, I'll be dissecting a common performance challenge to help you improve your mindset, your leadership and your team performance. To me, our mindset is the next frontier. So let's find out why. Hello and welcome to 2021 and welcome to episode 23 of Inside the Mind of Champions. I hope you're really well and managed to get some downtime over the festive period. I was asked a few days ago if I had a good Christmas break and I really had to think. It didn't really feel like a break, it felt like a pause. I think to me a break is normally full of adventure, meeting people, experiencing new things, having parties and Although you get tired, you feel very fulfilled as well. And this just felt like a holding pattern uh, before we get started again this year. So not quite the break that we all looked for, but uh, it just shows that our brain needs some deep focus to provide recovery, not just waiting on the sofa. If our brain isn't engaged in something right in front of us, like music or sport or exercise or reading, and we can escape, you know, back into our daily concerns and fears, which drain us very easily. So really important, that idea of mindfulness, being fully present and engaged in something that's occupying our mind. And I think that's what travel and meeting people and being in different conversations does. So I've been slowly unpausing um, after coming back, but I'm definitely getting back into the swing of things this week. And we usually have such high hopes for a fresh start in the new year, but definitely in the UK, with that bubble was burst within about three days with the national lockdown. So some really challenging times ahead and we can see lots of frustration and emotion being you know, shown and especially those worrying signs in the US as well recently. So we've got to make sure that we channel our frustrations and our emotion into something positive, both for ourselves and our communities. And talking of positive actions, I just wanted to say thanks to everyone that left a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. We didn't quite knock Mariah Carey off the number one slot, but we're still in the top 10. So I really hope that if you leave that silent applause for a job well done by leaving a review or a quick clap on the clapometer with Apple, that would be brilliant. So thanks so much to Richard, Phil, Pete, Rhiannon and Jim for your kind words and kind reviews. It means a lot that you took the time to say that. And I really appreciate every one of those messages. So thanks so much. I'm really excited to share today's episode with you as it's someone that I found fascinating to work alongside. He was born in Brisbane in 1960, trained as a teacher and was a combative hooker in the top Sydney team, Randwick. 
He's been a key member of the coaching teams across Australia, South Africa, and was head coach of Japan before joining England Rugby in November 2015, where he made an immediate impact, inspiring England to win their first Grand Slam for 13 years. Here's a taste of what's to come. In a team that's striving to, to get better, you're always going to have conflict. You know, the way you set up your team rooms is so important that you encourage players to stay around and, and to learn. For instance, when I went to Japan, you know, I'm half Japanese and I've got a Japanese wife, but to make sure I understood the culture, I got a, a friend of mine to do a thesis for me on the samurai culture, because I wanted to understand what was underpinning of Japanese society. When someone runs a two hour marathon, that next year eight people will run it, because then that, that, that fixed mindset of this is what you can run is broken. So that's right, we're gonna hear from Eddie Jones and one of the most high profile coaches in the world of sport, let alone just rugby. And I had the privilege of working with Eddie with that England team when he first came over. I remember I was on my way to deliver a, a conference speech for one of my clients and my phone went and I was a bit distracted at the time. And I heard this clipped Aussie accent saying, G'day, mate, it's Eddie Jones. And, uh, you know, now some of my uni mates have caught me out with this kind of stuff before. So I was very, very suspicious when I heard this random caller come out of the blue. And there's a pregnant pause, definitely, I remember that. But as each sentence unfolded, it sounded more and more realistic with Eddie. So I'm just really glad I didn't abuse my, uh, what I thought were my mates on the call and I kept quiet. And um, I think Eddie was really keen. He'd spoken to a few people in cricket and football wanting me to travel down to Twickenham uh, in the next few days to, to meet him. And, you know, he's obviously got access to lots of top sports psychologists and support staff members and advisors across his global network. But I think he'd worked, you know, in the UK, he'd worked in South Africa, Australia, Japan before and travelled widely. But I think it was important for Eddie to have somebody in the backroom team that understood the pressure of playing international sport for England. So I was very lucky that with that psychological slant that I'd got, um, that I got the nod. So it was a brilliant opportunity to work with him. And I'm sure I learned a huge amount more from him and the England team than they got from me. But in this first insight from our Members Club video library, Eddie explains the importance of trying to understand the not just the, the new role that he's got and the players, but also understanding that wider culture that you're moving into as well. And I think this is a great lesson for any leader working internationally. So let's hear what uh, Eddie did, when he, how he prepared for that all-important job with Japan when he started out. Well, I think whenever you go to a, a culture, uh, there's always going to be one predominant culture and you've got to do some, do some research on that culture. For instance, when I went to Japan, you know, I'm half Japanese and I've got a Japanese wife, but to make sure I understood the culture, I got a, a friend of mine to do a thesis for me on the samurai culture because I wanted to understand what was underpinning of Japanese society. So you go to Tokyo and Tokyo is like any modern city in the world, you know, there's skyscrapers, subways that run on time. Uh, maybe that's a bit different than London. <laughs> but uh, so, so I went there and, and to understand the samurai culture, I got a research paper and, and three things came out that were really important for, for Japanese was loyalty, hard work and trust. So then when I went into creating the team environment for Japan, I thought, right, these are the three things I've got to work really hard on. And they became the underpinning values of what we spoke about all the time. And, and I think 
because of that, it resonated very easily with the, with the Japanese. Yeah, the other thing with Japanese is that punctuality is such an important thing. So if a meeting's at 10 o'clock, everyone's there at 10 to 10. So when I had, we had six to seven New Zealand players and the New Zealand player generally for meetings at 10 o'clock, you know, their aim is to get there one second to 10, you know, see if they can, they can get there just on time. So potentially we had a rift in the team already. Um, if 80% of the team was coming at 10 to 10 and the other 20% of the team was coming at one to 10, there's a rift in the way they behaved. And, and those little things can count for a lot. Um, so I spoke to the New Zealand players and I said, look, if we've got a meeting at 10 o'clock, it means you've got to try to get there at 10 to 10. If you're not there by 10 to 10, you've got to be there by five to 10. And if you're later, if you're later than that, you're late. So consider it to be late and then there'll be consequence to you being late. And that solved that problem almost immediately. And, and whilst it might seem like a, a very simple thing, it helped the team to gel and, and, and to get great understanding amongst the group. So as Eddie said, he's half Japanese, but still went to the lengths of trying to get a research paper done to give him a new depth of understanding of the psyche and the wider cultural context of the players and the, the environment that he was joining. This not only allowed Eddie to define those authentic Japanese values of loyalty, hard work and trust, but it was also shaped the rules and behavioural code which the players needed to live by and to perform against in those months ahead. Eddie definitely has an air of the samurai master about him. So I, I did laugh when he mentioned that research paper. He's often walking around, sort of pacing around the back of a meeting room, spinning a cricket ball as he thinks through and speaks. But he can switch to that level of intensity that keeps you on top of your game. I think for me, it displays that classic T-shape of leadership. He can skim across all the different departments and cover off the insights from the medical team, the psychological elements, the technical or the tactical parts of the game, or even the commercial side. But then in a flash, he can drill down through those pillars of specific information into the microscopic detail in one area, like a real specialist as well. And this shows his incredible knowledge of that whole management area and the technical elements of the game which made for some brilliant and interesting management meetings, which you were usually very early in the morning, so I was still waking up. I have to say I was very nervous uh, in my first few days when I was in camp. I must have read that team kit list about 14 times to check whether I was going to rock up to the first management meeting in the right tracksuit or where I was going to be in the travel shirt or something instead of the training shirt. So I didn't want to turn up looking like a Muppet in the wrong gear and get Eddie's withering banter in front of all the lads. That would have been a bit of a shocker. So his ability to crack a gag to you know, relax the lads in a tense situation was the hallmark of his approach. But Eddie came in and inherited that team that had just flopped out of the World Cup on home soil. And it's fair to say morale was low at that point and Eddie would go on to inspire that same team to win 18 games in a row with that Grand Slam as well and equaling that world record. So it shows what an incredible transformation he made from a psychological point of view as much as a, a technical point of view while he kick-started that setup. So part of this was reconnecting the players and support staff with this inspirational goal. And I remember him speaking about the need to go beyond ordinary goals. And, and you know, lots of coaches say, winning a trophy is important, you know, they set that as the goal. 
But but Eddie's philosophy was that we need to set these transformational goals. And I think this was part of his magic and that impact that he had in those early weeks, taking the players that had pretty much lost their confidence and, and been humiliated and actually starting to get them to dream again about what might be possible and how that achievement might transform the way they felt about themselves and their careers, the legacy that they could leave and, you know, the way the team and the country were perceived by everybody else. So that was a really massive goal that he set off that emotional fuel. You know, imagine what it would feel like to be in a team that delivers this and imagine what it would mean for your career when you've retired to deliver this as well. And, and it's a really exciting thing. So that's where the motivational fuel comes from, without a doubt. And then we definitely need the system underneath that that delivers that on a daily basis. We can't just set an inspirational goal and expect that to happen. So Eddie had that balance of the inspirational fuel that everyone believed they could do something special under his guidance and his challenge and support. But also he he could build that system underneath with that attention to detail that would help everyone to hone their skills and the working units across the team to come together. So during challenging times or after setbacks, we can lose our confidence. And it's so important for all of our leaders at the moment to be setting up that inspiration about what's possible. And you can imagine with a group of 40 or 50 alpha males all in one room, they're not just going to take this wishy-washy dream and and expect that to come true without a healthy dose of scepticism. So it's really important that the coach going in or the leader or the manager going into a new environment starts to understand some of the mental ceilings and the limiting beliefs that the the new team that you're going to coach has got. As Eddie now explains, the importance of starting to create a growth mindset for the team that you're working with. Yeah, the only advantage you have in any sort of competition is your ability to learn quicker. And I think when you've got people with fixed mindsets, it's, it's, it's one of the most difficult things to change. And I think the only way you can do it is through education. You know, you've got to expose them to people with, with different ideas. You've got to sometimes expose their limitations of their fixed mindset. So you've got to get them to re- reflect accurately on where they are and understand where they can go. And I think, you know, having coached particularly Japan, uh, one of the things that it made me understand is that never set limitations on people. You don't know. We don't, we've got no idea how how fit we can get in rugby. We've got no idea how skillful we can get. You know, it's the old story of Roger Bannister. You know, he runs the mile in four minutes. The next year, eight people run it. You know, when, the, when someone runs a two-hour marathon, that next year, eight people will run it because then that, that, that fixed mindset of this is what you can run is broken. And so, you know, as a, as a leader, you're the one who always wants to be looking at ways of how you can break those those fixed limitations that are placed on people. I think that's such a great clip and and so many, you know, teams can benefit from that kind of thinking. Eddie obviously had the brilliant experience of working with Japan and seeing them go on to get, you know, fitter and stronger and more focused and more tactically aware. And they actually beat South Africa in that World Cup with that famous victory. So putting limitations on people can be very detrimental. So just keeping that open mindset and being able to, you know, challenge any of those limiting beliefs and set these new levels of performance and expectation is definitely the way to reboot a culture. And then secondly, having that ability like the Roger Bannister story of actually breaking through one of those 
mental ceilings because as soon as a leader or a senior player or anyone in that unit starts to break those levels of performance and gets recognized for operating at that you know high octane frequency then everyone else piles in behind and that's really critical to start getting some of that open growth mindset you know in the environment and working hard and starting to see new levels of performance so learning is definitely part of the dna of, of eddie's cultures and I definitely saw that firsthand with, with England rugby. And as we're talking about learning and inspiration, I've been thinking about how I can support you in your own personal and professional development and challenges at the moment. So I've decided to open up our members club for free for 30 days. I know a lot of you have heard the various messages that I've put on the podcast over the last few episodes. And you'll know that we've interviewed around 100 world-class coaches like Eddie neuroscientists, communication experts, and business strategists. And all of those insights now are available for you to access and watch those insights and all the strategies for free. So if you're in the NHS and you need some wellbeing support or you're in the fitness industry and you need to boost your own resilience before your gyms reopen or you're an entrepreneur thinking about how you're going to build a strategy, you can learn from people at Google or the top business schools to get you back on your feet and and help you to have a fast start in 2021. So that's free access to our members platform. So if you just go to sportingedge.com forward slash membership and use the promo code INSPIRE21 without a space, you'll have 30 days free access to all of that library. It's about a thousand top strategies for mental performance, leadership and team performance to help you build a brilliant culture in your business. So you can either cancel at the end of that 30 days or you can stay with me and the team on that monthly plan of £25 plus VAT, so £30 all in and uh, at less than a pound a day. That's a brilliant way to keep your mindset primed and you'll be joining a, a brilliant community. I send out weekly coaching videos into that community. You can send me your own confidential coaching questions and answer those through the platform. And we also get to join some fascinating Q&A sessions with sporting legends as well. So please do take that opportunity to invest in your mindset and and professional career. That's my offer to you. It's free for 30 days. My last 10 years of work is open to you and you're going to hear from people like Eddie Jones, Dave Brailsford, Gareth Southgate, top professors, communication experts on decision making and all the experts that you've heard through the podcast series over the last few months to go to sportingedge.com membership and use inspire 21 with no gaps and you'll see that the shopping cart zeroes out for you and you can get cracking so if learning is a competitive advantage as eddie says then this is a truly unique experience to give you a head start in 2021 so i really look forward to welcoming you inside Now, the theme of constantly improving and learning is definitely close to Eddie's heart. And when I contrast that with some of the cricketing environments that I played in, you know, a a generation ago, then I definitely think we missed an opportunity. We were just having another net, another training session, rather than putting that intense focus on. Uh, We were just getting a day older rather than getting a day wiser and a day better. And I think the best teams in the world, whether it's in sport or business, have that hunger and that curiosity and that real drive to keep learning 
right at the heart of what they do. Uh, and Eddie was looking for learning everywhere. I know he had a number of visits to Premier League football clubs. He spent time with military units and, you know, definitely trying to pick up these insights from around the world to help him sharpen his leadership team and, and also his, his own practices. And in this insight, he explains how coaches need to look out for these opportunities in their environment. Traditionally, players that play a game, cricket or, or rugby or, or football, they'd play a game, they'd all go to the pub and they'd talk about the game. You know, they, until a certain time they talk about the game, then other interests would take over. And that was the socialised learning of, of, of the game. Now, because there are so many other things in life, players don't tend to do that. So I think within your work environment now, you've got to create situations where, where that can happen. You know, the way you set up your team rooms is so important that you encourage players to stay around and, and to learn. You know, having learning mediums around videos of, of games around, data around that encourages that learning. Having the assistant coaches close to those players so that they can talk about the game. Um, and the other thing with coaches is that every time you get to talk to a player, you've got a learning situation, you know, and to treat that as a learning situation. So he's spot on about that previous area. I remember as a youngster, one of the unwritten rules in my job description as an apprentice at North Ants was to drop off this, one of the senior players who'd maybe been in the bar for one or two extra and my obviously my reward for, for taking that player home was sitting in and earwigging on this conversation between some of the world's best players like Alan Lamb or Curtly Ambrose, talking to Courtney Walsh or Robin Smith about how they might prepare for those battles against each other on the winter tours. And it was absolutely fascinating. But that era's gone now. You know, that was sort of 20, 30 years ago. And and Lammy would definitely have put his champagne in the ice bath he would never have sat in it so times have definitely changed and those informal beers in the opposition's dressing room or the bar have largely disappeared now and they've been replaced by media commitments drug tests and physios dishing out those after match recovery protocols so coaches in the modern era definitely need to find ways to encourage social learning opportunities Maybe it's nice computers sitting in the corridor next to the lunchroom where there's video footage and highlights on a loop so that it catches the player's attention. Or maybe it's having the analysis room next to the coach's room and next to the physio's room so that the players are constantly circulating around that space and making sure that those natural informal collisions are happening so that you're using those little conversations just to check in and I was amazed to see with England rugby that some of the players after a brutal day of training were still looking at the analysis and checking their own footage and the opposition footage to try and spot some patterns late at night, nine or 10 o'clock. And that would help them, you know, that homework, if you like, would help them to prepare for the test that they were about to play on the Saturday. And, and those hours of research would definitely give them the answers when in those split second decisions that they needed under pressure. And I've also seen with some international cricket teams and, and provincial teams in the, the franchise cricket, how easy it is for the players to come off the field at the end of the game and grab their phone on their way to their seats. Now, these are crucial moments for teams to either celebrate together and share each other's success or to grieve together and exchange ideas on how it could have been done better. 
Now, for those who haven't followed those sort of inner circles of the, the cricket world, cricketers get their phones taken away from them by the security officials before they get off the bus. And that's to prevent any match fixing conversations from taking place. So I've actually encouraged the security guards when I've been coaching teams to hold the phones for a few minutes after wins or after losses, because our phones can be like an immediate comfort blanket that soothes or distract us to connect with our social network outside of the dressing room, rather than connecting and spending time just reflecting on those critical moments with that all-important network that we've got, our teammates. So Eddie's attention to detail on learning was the best that I've seen from a coach. And I'm sure this came from his grounding as a teacher in his initial career. And it wasn't enough for Eddie to, for a coach to deliver a good speech. You know, a few times people would say, you know, you know, what was your session like with the players? And I'd say, oh yeah, it seemed to go quite well. But his judgment wasn't whether I delivered it well. It was, did it change behavior? And that's where he judged the success. So you had to go a lot further and I think he'd learned some short, you know, quick strategies from the military about a hot debrief as well. So, you know, they did it straight after a mission, these special forces groups. But, you know, Eddie encouraged the coaches to run over to the corner flag at the end of training and share ideas about the timing, where the kit was set up, the movement patterns, the structure of the session and the response of the players. It was so important to try and capture this information live on the field rather than having to post-rationalise it or miss out some of the key facts after you've had a shower and you're sort of sitting having a meal with the coaching group. So these sessions were excellent and I was always amazed about the professionalism and the attention to detail in these training sessions with a massive clock clicking down at the side of the field so everybody knew that this block was two minutes of this kind of play and, and then there was four minutes of this and then eight minutes of this so it was all measured brilliantly but that ability to keep learning and that practice of reviewing the performance again was the best that I'd seen so another thing that really impressed me about that setup with England rugby that Eddie was overseeing was how empowering it was and and despite Eddie and the other excellent coaches Steve Borthwick, Neil Hatley, Paul Gustard having a forensic knowledge of their individual aspects of the game, whether it was the scrum, the line out or the back play, they definitely created an environment where Dylan Hartley and Owen Farrell could shape the team approach. Eddie wanted to create a team of problem solvers that could respond to any situation in the game. And that, you know, it doesn't always go to plan. You know, we need to make sure that we've got these scenarios set up that are able to test the player's thinking so they can self-organise and then review their decision, you know, as he now explains. So most of the complex sports we play, evasion sports, it's a balance between structure and chaos. And, and generally speaking, the chaos situations are more important than the structured situations. So therefore, you can't teach players to cope with every situation in the chaos situation. So therefore, you want players in those chaos situations to self-organise. And so you've got to teach them to self-organise. And, and teaching them to self-organise means that you put them in situations at training where they've got to work out solutions themselves. And then as a coach, your job is to make sure you guide them to discover the, the, right, the, right, the right solutions to those situations. So telling them what to do is 
not asking the self-organise. You're, you're telling them the, the solution. And in that chaotic situation, again, the cage isn't there to tell them the solution. You know, they've got to work it out for themselves. So you've got to expose them to those situations, guide them to discover how to make the, the right solution and find the right way. So I remember most of those sessions being run incredibly professionally and there were minute by minute timings for different phases of play. But then I also remember Eddie running around with his whistle and, and signalling these interludes of Eddie kicking balls in lots of random directions and getting players out of the line out or the, the attacking line. And the players had to sort of scramble their thinking and get into new patterns of play. They'd be disorientated with balls flying into random positions that maybe might not even happen in a real match situation. But the players had to pause. They had to scan the field, look around them for who was in their you know, chain of command. They needed to look at the different options of play and then communicate very quickly in those split seconds. And it was interesting to see how the players responded to it, which players took control and how they got back into shape and got back into that group awareness and group alignment that was needed on the field on a Saturday. So I think very often as coaches, we try and make everything look very neat and very polished and everything's got to be under our control. But I think the scrum and the line out might be like that. But I loved the way Eddie created these pressure testing simulations of they were quite messy and, and throwing these curveballs and scenarios at the team actually allowed them to think together, to, to react together and create some of these you know, new skills and this sixth sense that brilliant teams have. So I think high performance is often seen as this flawless execution, but actually, you know, that has to come from somewhere. And it often comes from the messiness in training and that, you know, questions that are asked to get people thinking in a different way so that they've got greater awareness, greater choices. And when we start to think together and plan together and simulate these challenges, then that's when the instinct kicks in, when the question is posed on the pitch, when the ball flies in a different direction or a player's down injured, the players respond. They're going back into that database of experiences that they've had that have been messy and chaotic and reviewed, but they're not pristine, but they react much faster. So they're given as a considered response rather than an emotional reaction, which can often paralyze us. So I think there's a parallel there for us in our businesses with so much disruption going on at the moment. Are we actively trying to simulate these what if scenarios in our teams and say, well, you know, what happened if we lost that client or what happened if our competitor did this? or What happened if this regulation changed? And that would actually get people thinking and working and brainstorming together so that they could actually solve these problems more readily if they actually present themselves. And even if they don't, they've actually built trust and a shared mental model for our team to operate from. So I think as much as we think high performance is perfect, there's a messiness behind it that we need to adopt ourselves if we're going to build successful teams. Now, like any head coach, Life doesn't always go smoothly and dealing with 40-odd highly charged blokes isn't for the faint-hearted, but Eddie's view on managing conflict is really relevant for all of us. I was interested to hear Eddie's views on when tensions rise and even flare up, and he shared this brilliant story about his time with Japan. The first thing about that, I think conflict should be seen as being normal. You know, in a, in a, in a team that's striving to, to get better, you're always going to have conflict. 
because some people think one thing and other people think another thing. I think there's a couple of things you need to do. Firstly, I think it's really important for any coach to make sure there's a framework in, in place. So basically within that framework, the players should be able to show disciplined initiative to create solutions to how you want to play. Now, if they go outside that framework, then they're, then they're causing a conflict. And, and your job is to show why that's causing the conflict and then again, resolve it quickly. Never go to bed on a problem. Go to that problem straight away. In the World Cup in 2015, we had our last game against America and it was a game we were expected to win. I remember the last training session we had our number, a big Tonga number eight, trying to punch the living daylights out of our little halfback. He was a cheeky little bugger. And so, you know, they were at, they were at each other and, and it was almost split the team. Um, so we had to work really hard that night to solve it. You know, I got the captain, a couple of senior players involved. You know, we spoke to both the bodies, got them together, and by the end of the night it was solved. You know, if we had allowed, allowed that to fester, then it becomes an even greater problem. And some people say, oh, I'll go away. But those sort of things don't go away. You've got to solve them there and then. So setting the boundaries and trusting everyone to operate within them sounds a very grown-up approach. But when situations that threaten the team dynamic start to bubble up, that's when we need to jump on them before they cause collateral damage. This is where the coach needs his or her senior players and support staff. They're the early warning system sensing tensions and when the temperature starting to rise across the backroom staff and the playing group. The coach needs to step in early before things boil over and using those signals from that early warning system around the senior players and support staff is the key. There's a number of other video insights in from Eddie's interview in our members club. So when you log in, you'll see those with your free trial. One particular insight on this theme of conflict is how Eddie deals with difficult conversations. And that's an absolute classic. But one of the other key elements in Eddie's coaching philosophy is on the other side of challenge and dealing with conflict it's about the need to keep the praise and encouragement and support going to make sure that we're driving high performance and supporting it all the time. I think we can all make this mistake of not thanking people or praising people who've done a really good job. And we can make the mistake of looking forward to the next challenge and say, OK, well, you've done that brilliantly, but the next challenge or next week's project is this. And we can skip over it without giving recognition and, and people that are striving and sacrificing to improve their skills and contribute to the team performance. So it's really important that we get that emotional engagement and motivation that comes from praise and recognition in the moment, as Eddie now says. Praise definitely uh, gives you more stimulus than criticism. And whilst you know, criticism is important because it gives you balance in what you're doing, I think it's very important to reward players, reward their hard work and make them understand that, that people are watching what they do. You know, it's like the old story, a strength and conditioning coach asks a player to do 10 push-ups. He does 10 push-ups and the strength and conditioning coach is looking in the other direction. You know, so the skill of coaching is, is if you ask a player to do something and basically coaches, we're coaches because we make the players do what they don't want to do. You know, so if you ask a player to do something, then you watch him do it and then you give him some feedback on that performance. And I think those small things are really important and sometimes they, they get lost. 
Like nothing irks me more than a coach asking a player to do something and then not watching him do it and not giving me any, any constructive feedback on it. I love that phrase that a leader or coach is there to get the players to do what they don't want to do. We're all built for safety and to stay in our comfort zone. So trying to raise the level of performance can feel like a risk to our self-esteem in case we fail. So that ability to stretch players in both their expectations, as we mentioned earlier, but also in their skill execution is the key driver of of a coach's motivation and focus. So finding new ways to test players mentally and physically pays dividends, but we also need to make sure that we're giving that rapid reward and recognition for doing a good job. Because if we don't do that, then people will think it's gone unnoticed and they'll start to drift. So as Eddie said, this can be a a wink or a smile or a mention in the next team meeting, but recognition of progress and sacrifice will definitely supercharge the motivation of the individuals in our team and, you know, give everyone that collective confidence that we need to attack the months ahead. So I think we can all learn. I definitely reminded myself of that and praising the team for doing great work in really challenging times as well. So that's a, a brilliant final insight for us. So there are 11 golden nuggets for coaches and business leaders on Eddie's profile in the members club. So make sure you go and use that free month's access You'll be joining an amazing community of hundreds of coaches, execs, entrepreneurs. We've got brilliant businesses like Gartner and HSBC, international cricketers and lots of fantastic discussion and debate in there. So I know how hard it is for everyone at the moment. We've experienced huge challenges as a business as well, but I wanted to help. And, you know, I really hope that you will take this opportunity to to get in there and get the inspiration from this incredible resource that myself and the Sporting Edge team have built over the last 10 years. So there are thousands of practical tips for you, hundreds of videos. There's over 600 video insights and you can even use them to start a team or Zoom meeting as well uh, for your internal network. So the only thing I ask in return is that you share and tag me in with a screenshot of the clips that you've watched and the insights that you've learned from on your social channels. So let's spread the word. We've got an incredible resource here. I'm really privileged to be able to share it with you. And I hope we can get everyone to boost their mindset, their leadership and their teams in the coming months using the Sporting Edge Members Club. So if we work together, I'm sure we'll get through it. I've got some great suggestions through from various people in my network about future episodes of the podcast for this year. So if you do have any of those, then please do send them through to hello at sportingedge.com. I really do want to make this a practical toolkit. I know there's brilliant podcasts and lots of different styles, but I want to try and make this as practical for you so that you can develop a high performance system in your own environment. So please do email me hello at sportingedge.com sportingedge.com forward slash membership is the place to go for the membership, uh, the free month. And please use inspire21 as your code. And I'd love you to leave a five star rating and review if you can. I'd love to get to number one with the podcast in the next month. And, uh, you know, I really want to make some content that's going to help you to thrive in the coming weeks. So thanks very much for listening today. And until next time, keep moving, keep learning and stay safe. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. 
Connect with Jeremy's LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram links in today's show notes to receive the latest insights from his work. If you'd like to get access to Sporting Edge's digital library or book Jeremy for a conference speech or webinar, then please visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com. 